0: Hackers. I first became aware of the term back in 1988, when I was a kid, and I saw Dan Rather on the CBS Evening News talk about Robert Morris Jr., who had just launched the first computer worm. Cornell University graduate student Robert Morris was indicted today for planting a virus that infiltrated more than 6,000 computers across the country. Morris's defense includes that he intended only a low-grade prank. What he touched off instead was a rampant epidemic last November that infected a national defense network of computers, among others. If convicted, he could face up to five years in prison, a fine of $250,000 plus restitution to damaged parties. And then a decade later, I got to work alongside a real hacker. Kevin Poulsen was at ZDNet before he went to Security Focus and then Wired.
1: Um, and if you go back before that, I, I myself was a was a hacker in the late 80s and the early 90s. I used to hack the phone company quite a bit. Um, um, it was it was what uh, what the kids t- today would call an advanced persistent threat. I was like living in their systems for, for years, and uh, I wound up getting in some trouble for that, um, in, uh, in part because I used my access to cheat at radio station phone-in contests and win prizes like, like Porsches and trips to Hawaii. In
0: 1994, Kevin Poulsen served 51 months in a federal prison and was banned from using the internet without permission. Some hackers, though, avoided prison altogether. Celebrating with the broadest of smiles and a kiss from his partner, Larry Love's relief at winning his appeal against extradition to the US was overwhelming. We're very happy and relieved and we're very thankful for, for the High Court, for the judges, for their
1: wisdom and discernment. Um, thankful for all of the support that we've had, without which I'm not
0: sure I would have made it this far. The 33-year-old from Suffolk faced charges from U.S. prosecutors of hacking into computers at various American agencies. His lawyers argued his Asperger's and depression would make any extradition oppressive. Today, the High Court agreed. Only for some hackers, the threat of going to prison proved to be too much. A brilliant computer programmer, a world-class university, and a federal prosecutor. A three-way collision that some speculate led to a deepening depression for 26-year-old Aaron Swartz. Swartz was best known as the co-founder of Reddit, a widely used social news and entertainment website built around user-submitted content. President Obama even used Reddit to reach more than 5 million voters during his re-election campaign, most of them young people. In his short life, he became a folk hero, pushing to make web content free. But with prosecutors pressing serious charges, Swartz hanged himself Friday at his Brooklyn apartment. His lawyer says he doesn't know what put him over the edge, but the notion of prison time had Swartz deeply worried. But I know this case was weighing heavily on his mind, and it was a significant source of stress for him. I started the Hacker Mind podcast in part to take back the word hacker, which simply means to take apart. However, in courts and in the media, hackers have been demonized. The organization Hacking is Not a Crime is trying to change that narrative around hacking. In a moment, I'll interview its founder. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm talking about hacking specifically ethical hacking, and whether ethical hacking should be legal under certain circumstances. It's a nuanced discussion, and one that I'm happy to share with you in this episode. While I was producing this episode, the United States Justice Department announced an important policy shift. Going forward, it will no longer prosecute good faith security research that would have otherwise violated the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or CFAA. Specifically, it said, computer security research is a key driver of improved cybersecurity. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco Went on to say, the department has never been interested in prosecuting good faith computer security research as a crime, and today's announcement promotes cybersecurity by providing clarity for good faith security researchers who root out vulnerabilities for the common good. So, what is the common good?
1: My apex pseudonym, handle, moniker, whatever, pretty synonymous with my real life name at this point. You know, i I kind of, uh, kind of compromised anonymity, pretty much with hackings on a crime. But I'm mean, even prior, prior to that, and I had kind of been involved in the hacker community, and I'd done some talks and things like that. So it, whatever you prefer, you can say Brian McEnich, also known as
0: Apex. In 2002, I wrote an article for ZDNet called "Jail Time Is Not the Answer to Cybercrime." I wrote about the pending Cybersecurity Enhancement Act of 2002, or CSEA. And I said, quote, the problem with this legislation is that it's often very difficult to determine who is responsible for any given cybercrime. Let's say someone hacks into a local power grid, and as a result, a hospital loses power to its critical patient care units. Who is responsible? Is it the hospital, which should have had a power backup? Is it the power utility, which should have maintained better computer security? Or is it The thrill-seeking thirteen-year-old who probably had no idea what he or she was doing. Further, over the years, I've tried to say "criminal hacker" where appropriate, and "hacker" or "researcher" everywhere else.
1: Excellent. I wish there were more like you. (laughs) I've 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 been in touch with some notable names in media, and they've you know they've assured me that uh, they'll they'll make a best effort, Um, and uh, they've promised me that you know. When the time comes, we'll have a sit-down interview like this. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's been an uphill battle because uh, let's face it—you know, um, the, the 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 whole image of a hacker draws people in to read articles and advertising on articles and make money off of advertising. So it's it's kind of a business model, right? It's part of it.
0: I also noted within that ZDNet article, at the time, the average length of a sentence around the crime of rape was three years in the United States. But at times, there have been sentences of over 10 years for violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act.
1: You're never going to understand what it's like to be a rape victim unless you're a rape victim yourself. However, I think people can get a pretty good idea of of what something like, you know, the, the consequence of what they should be for rape. Um, I certainly don't think it should be <laughs> three years, especially if you're comparing it to something like uh, a c- computer crime or whatever under CFAA. But yeah, that's, that is a really interesting disparity.
0: So one of the things that I've been asked and wrestle with is how do you make that distinction between someone who's a bad hacker and someone who's a good hacker?
1: And that that's a great question. I'm glad we're able to discuss it because I think there is, um, you know, my whole idea behind a lot of this was to... To bring uh, about some unification within the hacker community. And there's been some debate and and, and good debate, you know, the, the whole point of this was to bring this into public discussion, public discourse. And, you know, let's let's talk about the nuances of this. And our message is very nuanced. Some have said, well, hacking, hacking is a crime. It's, you know. You have the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which I think is what Nick was probably prosecuted under. So, you know, it's it's hacking is not a crime is more of an assertion. Some have said hacking should not be a crime. Well, yeah, we we agree with that. But hacking should not be versus hacking is not. We wanted to go a little bit more for the guerrilla marketing type message. So um, we went with hacking is not. But over the course of the last couple of years, some really valid points have been raised. Mostly, and we we tweeted about this just a few days ago, there's a somewhat of a conflation of and distinguished uh, distinction between ethics and legality. And we've, from day one, always focused on uh, ethical intent.
0: And that then becomes the central question. What is ethical hacking?
1: We could go off on a lot of tangents here. I I, I think I, I grew up. As I mentioned, in, in a lot of subculture circles, and I've always been very uh, anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian type of personality. Um, you know, my my mother working two three jobs as a single parent household wasn't around a lot to raise me. I was kind of left to do my own thing, and I, and I would get in trouble as mischievous because I didn't have a lot of oversight. <laughs> um, but you know, when, when when she was around, she would. Try to compensate for her lack of being there. I, again, she was working two, three jobs, so uh, can't blame her for it. But she would try to overcompensate by, you know, coming down hard with the hammer. And I think that kind of turned into this snowball effect of, "We're like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get around what you want." And that kind of evolved into uh, into this hacker mindset. So um, I think when I mentioned all these different uh, permutations of ethics and legality, right? I think there's a lot of unethical things that go on in the world that are completely legal. There's insider trading on massive scales. Uh, there's there's so many uh, socioeconomic injustices in the world um, that are completely legal because the powers that be make them legal. because it's the uh, you know it's the the inner the inner circle of trust, so to speak. So I I think one of the reasons. Like you said, rape and, and for three years or uh, CFAA for ten. I think it's a little bit because our community, our industry, what have you, is a lot. It's very esoteric to people. They don't really understand it. And when people don't understand something, they feel threatened by it. When people feel threatened by it, they want to throw the book at you.
0: Perhaps we should talk about a specific example, something in the media, where we can discuss where to draw the line. Are they ethical or are they criminal? I wrote a book with Kevin Mitnick, a convicted felon. But Kevin, is he a criminal or was he just curious about the world?
1: With Mitnick, uh, and I'm I'm going off of some very old memory here. I, I remember in the late '90s when you know free Kevin Mitnick thing, twenty six hundred was all on it. Um, and that's kind of right when I got into like security and, and had an interest in hacking. And i re- I remember reading about his attack. On, what was it Shimomura's?
0: Sutomo Shimamura is a Japanese American physicist. He's also a computer security expert and is perhaps best known for helping the FBI track and arrest hacker Kevin Mitnick. At this point, Kevin was a known fugitive from the FBI and was using various aliases to stay one step ahead of the FBI. What Kevin was convicted of doing was looking inside Shimomura's computer to see what, if anything, was known about his current whereabouts. It proved to be the thing that got him caught.
1: I think he used, like, a... TCP blind IP spoofing. I was like reading this and I was like, this is brilliant. Of course, it's a lot more difficult to do now because they have, you know, more entropy and TCP sequence numbers and all these other things. But for that day, that was like really cutting edge. I was like, this guy's brilliant. So then I guess the question would be, was what he was doing ethical? I think, you know, I think, Kevin, I I respect the guy because uh, of, of his technical acumen. I don't it, it was definitely illegal, because I think it was uh, you know it was someone else's property. He was intruding. I guess one could claim, but I don't know if it, you know. I don't really see it as an unethical act because did he did he do any damage? I don't I don't recall him actually doing any damage. I thought he was just doing it for like kicks and giggles kind of thing, right? And correct me if I'm wrong here. Again, this is going off of twenty <laughs> five year old memory here or something. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a really interesting case study. Yeah. Was it a crime? Well, according to the to the law, it was. I think that kind of burrows down into another level of nuance is, well, is, is he being ethical by doing yeah, I don't think he's breaking anything. I don't think he's, you know, holding their, their data hostage or exposing any sort of intellectual property. Uh, I don't I don't even know if the Shimomura, whoever it was, even suffered any loss. I don't know how that was argued in court, but. Um, I, yeah, I can argue it was ethical, but it was definitely illegal, um, according to the CFAA anyway. So,
0: Brian uses a simple rubric to define hacking and its criminal activity. Imagine a grid of four quadrants with ethical and legal forming the X and Y axes. So in the upper left, you would have ethical and legal, which is what you want to be. Adjacent to this, in the upper right is ethical, illegal. And in the lower left, unethical and legal. And in the lower right, unethical and illegal. Right away, we can dismiss the unethical. That's the red line that hacking is not a crime draws.
1: So when you're talking about ethics and legality, we have, I'm going to try to keep this straight in my head. (laughs) You have ethical, legal, ethical, illegal. You have unethical legal and unethical illegal. So just kind of right off the bat, we in no way support anything that's unethical, whether it's legal or illegal, right? Because um, we want to we narrow down that nuance to what we can really focus on and have an impact with. Um, we fully condone and support ethical legal, obviously. And where we're really trying to have an impact is on the ethical illegal.
0: So if you're ethical in doing something legal, that's fine. But if you were ethical in doing something illegal, that's where whistleblowers come in. They're the ethical people who see something wrong. And sometimes they must perform an act of civil disobedience or even break the law. This is the ethical, illegal side of the quadrant.
1: Um, you know, I think uh, we've had uh, Daniel Ellsberg, you know, whistleblower type stuff. Um I think that's important uh, transparency in society, so that you know the constituents know what's really going on. I'll go on the record and say you know I'm a, I'm a fan of of Snowden. So things like that, I think there's 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 a conversation to be had about how we approach that. But we've been growing so quickly, um, just in popularity, that we have to move the needle slowly on on the messaging, right? Because we don't want to take some. Huge leap, one way or the other, because then we're we, we may gain ten percent but lose twenty, and now now we're losing ground on it. So we've we've got to we've got to move the needle slowly on it.
0: So how do you move the needle slowly?
1: We want to, um, you know, we're, we're we're advocating for global policy reform. So some of these nuances, I think, have really you know again stirred up some good discussion. But we we've gotten a lot of really good. We'll call it feedback. <laughs> this is, it's, it's a controversial topic, you know, to some degree. Uh, a lot of people have uh, a lot of strong feelings about what we're, what we're bringing to public discourse. So um, that's kind of really where we're focusing on.
0: Staying with the legal for a moment, we have the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA, in the United States. And it's only recently begun to carve out some areas where hackers are allowed to, you know, look at automobiles. And look in certain industries, maybe it should be broader than that. There's also the right to repair movement in the United States, which I discuss in episode fourteen of the Hacker Mind.
1: Yeah, that's um, kind of another uh, thing that we we support is uh, there's that right to repair coalition, I believe it's called, and you know, um, a, a lot of this kind of gets back to the property rights topic. Is you know, if if I. If I buy an iPhone, um, should I be able to modify it? Um, Or if I buy a car, I think there was something in, is it last year, I think? Uh, There was some legislation going through in Massachusetts that was supposed to set precedent for if you could have the right to repair your own car or if they effectively want to lock you out and make you go to the dealership or some authorized mechanic, whatever, which of course, then they're going to price gouge you um so we're we're really big advocates of right to repair and dmca obviously falls into that as well
0: again we can dismiss the unethical that's the red line
1: yeah and, and again we 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 condone ethical legal we don't condone unethical legal unethical illegal but we do want to we, we want to see you know policy reform globally for ethical illegal um' there's a lot of unethical legal things going on out there that Ethical, illegal, could fix. Hope that wasn't too confusing. It confused me when I was spinning around in my head thinking about all this one day.
0: <laughs> a long time ago, I was told that ethical hacking was not a term that you should use. So, how do you feel about calling themselves ethical as opposed to what we just discussed?
1: That was kind of one of the first concepts I think we came across during our inception, right, of, of the, the org was um, ethical hacker. We, we, we like to say that we we believe all hackers are implicitly ethical. So to say that you're an ethical hacker is to say that uh, Matt Blaze had, I'm trying to find it here. He had a really good tweet a couple weeks ago. Uh, people who call themselves ethical hackers make me nervous in the same way I make people nervous if I called myself a non-cannibal professor. <laughs> It's funny, but it's true. I mean, uh, it's it's almost like saying, "Oh, well, I'm an ethical doctor, uh, or I'm a uh, you know, I'm an ethical journalist." Well, I hope you are. <laughs> I mean,
0: there's also a list of words on the hackingisnotacrime.org website commonly used within Infosec that are being challenged today. For example, instead of saying "white hack, we should say "hacktivist," or "researcher," or even "whistleblower." And instead of saying black hat, we should say attacker or malicious adversary or threat actor. Hacking is not a crime is facilitating a discussion around these alternatives.
1: I think the, the, if I remember correctly, and this is very ironic, I think the whole white hat, black hat thing came out of DEFCON circa 2000, maybe? It it, it was either black hat or DEFCON, I can't remember, but it was meant to kind of differentiate um, the the good guys and the bad guys. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, uh, black and white just don't have the same uh, the same context anymore. It's kind of like GitHub changing their repos from you know master and slave to primary secondary or whatever they chose to go with. So um, words matter, intent matters, and so we want to kind of align with that. Um, so we're, we're we're going with you uh, know there, there's so many different names and, and characters that you could you could describe with this but um, white hack we want to go with uh, hacktivist so you could be I, I, I'm a hacktivist I'm I'm a an hacker and I'm an activist so I'm a hacktivist uh, security researchers um, or uh, even whistleblowers we you know recently came across some stuff where uh, there were you know leaks of personally identifiable information or um, some sort of uh, previously unknown surveillance of people or employees. Um, I think it's important that things you know transparency and whatnot are provided to the public about things like that. So those are what we would consider white hat, quote unquote. Uh, black hat would be uh, very generically an attacker. What, what you know what's the intent and the motives here? Is this to um, you know is, is this for the better good or is this uh, some sort of self-serving kind of uh, intent so attacker malicious adversary threat actor um, we we do have um, we, do, we do have some people on the internet who have expressed uh, concern about you know uh, cyber criminal I think is what we were originally going with and I I tend to agree, you know, even though I'm a a OG kind of hacker, I've been in the you know, in the the game, in the community for a long time, uh, the the cyber thing just kind of had never really liked the term personally. So we, we kind of did away with the cyber criminal thing and uh, was just stuck with more, um, I don't know, acceptable terms of attacker or malicious adversary and threat actor, which really kind of get the point across without saying hacker or ethical
0: Hacker. So this really is the Gen X episode of Hacker Mind. If you came of age in the eighties and nineties, you may remember this. Skateboarding was huge. Everybody had a board, even I. And this amazing ability to stay on my feet after a major wipeout. But that's a story for another day. Brian was also into skateboarding, and this was before skate parks. This was when you would skate anywhere you possibly could, including public and private property.
1: You know, the, the whole story really goes back to kind of my childhood uh, days, um, uh, I don't know. There's a couple places I could start, but I'll, I'll kind of we can we can move back a little earlier than this point in life. But um, when I was young, I was a skateboarder um, in the '80s, and uh, you know I was your your prototypical Gen Xer. My parents were divorced. Dad was uh, you know pursuing his career around the country, uh, so it was a single parent household. Mom worked two, sometimes three jobs, so we were we were kind of poor. And, uh, you know, I have the luxury of building, uh, half pipes in my backyard. Um, I didn't have, uh, the luxury of skating swimming pools like they do in San Diego. So my pools uh, in Ohio, <laughs> um, so, uh, I was skateboarding and my only option would be to skate on public and private property, uh, whether they were like, you know, stairs and handrails or embankments or curves or whatever it was, um, and at the time, I, I, you know, I was, you know, I skated from the age of six to 14, maybe. Um, during that time, uh, probably when I was about 12, I didn't really understand the concept of property rights, public, private property and things like that. Um, but the police would harass us and, and many skateboarders just for, you know, being out with their friends. You know, and in retrospect, private property, okay, I get it. And then, uh, you know, at that time, there was the whole skate and destroy mantra, which probably didn't kind of lend itself to our, uh, you know, our, our um, pristine character. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, police would, um, police would harass us on both private and public property. So public's a little different. You know, it could be a, a park. It could be a, uh, you know, it could be a, a police station. Could be a you know city hall something like that which is taxpayer subsidized so um it got to a point where um just in, in my small town that i grew up in uh several parents got together and petitioned city hall and said hey look we understand the private property is one thing you know if they get their permission it should be fine um but on public grounds you know it's this is taxpayer funded and our, our kids should be able to skate there kind of a, a not quite the First Amendment kind of thing, but it's the same concept, right? It's public property. Uh, We should be able to go and use these facilities and just be able to skate around. Um, And it was about that time that a skateboarding is not a crime sticker came out. Um, It was pretty popular. And um, I think, you know, kind of fast forwarding, however many years that was, it was 2018. I was um, sitting down with Wirefall Who's uh, one of my local hacker friends here in Dallas? He's the founder of Dallas Hackers Association, and we were sitting down after a meetup, having a beer. Uh, he's kind of OG like me; he goes way back. And we were we were just, however, it got brought up. We were talking about the the stereotype and the derogatory imaging and whatnot of hackers in the hacking community, and we you know we were we were talking about the imagery, the hoodies, and things like that, and it just kind of. I, I just kind of blurted out. I was like, yeah, hacking's not a crime. And then whoop, in my head, skateboarding's not a crime. <laughs> that was something, you know, a little nostalgic. But then I was like, that sticker really took off. <laughs> so um, I designed kind of a prototype for it. And there's another gentleman uh, from the Dallas hacker community by the handle Unspecific um, or otherwise Mad Hat. And uh, he's really into like graphic arts design and stuff. So he helped me kind of brush up um, our, our sticker design. And in 2018, I took I, I bought 500 of them on Sticker Mule and took them to DEF CON. And they were gone in like the first day. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't have time to order more. But the next year in 2019, I took 5,000. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't attend a single talk. I just handed out stickers. And it kind of just it, it started taking off from there. I think, um, and then in 2020 pandemic, you know, uh, DEF CON was all virtual, and um, you know, I had the, the the Twitter account I had set up in 2018. I had tweeted this video. It's, it's pinned on our Twitter account, Hack Not Crime. Um, it's something to the effect of what most people think hacking is versus what hacking really is, and it's you know, it's this short video. It starts off with this like you know up tempo like techno beat and it's shown all these like flashy graphics of encryption uh, decryption you know payload unloading things like that and it cuts over to this guy coding java and he you know hits hits a button and he gets this i o error for heroku something whatever it was and he goes over to Google to troubleshoot it you know it's kind of the iterative learning process right of of, of hacking you know you try something it breaks go back try it a different way so Anyway, in a nutshell, in summary, that's kind of uh, the, the the short version of a long story of uh, where it kind of originated, the concept, and um, where Hacking's Not a Crime came from. And I've always, for some reason or another, I've always been kind of um, uh, affiliated with some sort of subculture. I, I don't know why, I just enjoy being part of the, the outer circle of society. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's it's very much like what's, what skateboarders were going through in the 80s, but I think with all due respect to current skateboarders, of course, uh, I think our cause has a uh, potential for a much greater impact on society um, because as we become more dependent on technology and security, um, I'm sorry, more dependent on technology, security and privacy is going to become more important in our lives. So, um, yeah, I'll stop there.
0: So given that Brian and I agree on these terms, even share some of the history, has there been any pushback within the security community? Do people want to see hackers dismissed as pejorative or do they want to embrace the term hackers once again?
1: Not so much infosec and for like the the hacker community that I'm part of, there have some there's been some detractors who I won't go into names here. I don't want to want to call them out or anything, but um, you know, we've, we've gotten some DMS on Twitter and emails and, you know, uh, again, our message is very nuanced. So I think sometimes people misunderstand some of it and take it for, Oh, well, what about, uh, just talking about Kevin Mitnick. What about Kevin Mitnick? You know, um, uh, hacking is a crime he was he was prosecuted so you've got you've got the the world out there who's not part of the hacking community that just they don't understand it at all which is mostly why we're we're trying to spread this message it's the point of our cause but within the hacking community as well there are people who feel that um you know maybe a bit more anti-establishment that want to as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, uncover unethical things. And so then we, we, we get into a discussion of, well, you know, if you've, uh, compromised somebody and you've exposed some sort of unethical act, is that considered ethical? And, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the debate now. Right. And again, that's, that, that's why we formed this. We want to have those conversations. So.
0: So perhaps you've seen the stickers, hacking is not a crime. They're well-designed and they're showing up at security conferences and in security videos on YouTube.
1: I think really what helped us grow so quickly, almost too quickly, it's admittedly been kind of a struggle at times to keep things from boiling over, just growth. Um, But we, uh, you know, guerrilla marketing has been why things have caught on so quickly. It's part of the branding and the logo and you know that's, that's the reality of running a nonprofit or a, a business or even even personally, people have personal branding, right? So you, you've got to market yourself or whatever it is you're representing. And uh, you know part of that with that assertion that hacking is not a crime. Over the, the, the course of the last couple of years, we've had a lot of lively public discourse about things like this. And we're finding other nuances outside of the scope that we were originally focused on, right? So uh, I brought up, um, you know, whistleblowers and stuff earlier. Um, I think it's very ethical to expose unethical things, and so you know we're we're, we're slowly um, moving the goalposts a little bit to kind of encompass elements of that type of mindset as well. Um, because as I mentioned before, as, as we become more dependent on technology, so too will our personal privacy and security be impacted. And if we're not actively looking for vulnerabilities or actively exposing unethical acts, I think just as a global society at this point, we're all gonna suffer in the end. So. Um, I know we've got some uh, some folks out there that don't necessarily agree with us, but I um, I encourage them to be and uh, patient and as supportive as they're willing to be, because I really want to make this a, a a unifying theme among the hacker community. Because I think a lot of our societies things are very divisive right now, and I, I would hate to see. Um, I'd hate to see something like that happen to the hacker community because I think there's a lot of really great people out there. Um, We just need to, we need to have that public discourse and come to an an understanding of everyone's wants and needs.
0: And so your point then is how do you start a nuanced discussion about hacking? How do you clarify that it's nuanced up front and still have that conversation?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we've had some recent updates to our website um, that, you know, Call out, you know, specifically, uh, here, I'll actually read it. and just had it pulled up. Um, hacker is simply an inquisitive, crit- critical thinker who solves complex problems with unorthodox means. The actions and methods by which these problems are solved, be they social, financial, economic, political, technological, or otherwise, is called hacking. So, you know, you, you've got the whole life hack. There's a website called uh like Lifehacker or something like that, lifehacker.com, I think. Okay, yeah, technically you're kind of, you know, doing something in an unorthodox manner, you're hacking something. But I think hacking the mindset can be applied in so many different contexts. So we wanted to clarify just right up front on our website that it it could be social, financial, economic, political. It doesn't have to just be technological, which is where hacking's really been focused. But getting back to my earlier point, we're more and more dependent on technology, but it's a means to an end of maybe some of the other ones, right? The the social, political, economic, whatever.
0: After this podcast, head over to hackingisnotacrime.org. There you will see a few terms that are certainly up for discussion.
1: Throughout the last year, year and a half, we've reached out to a lot of different uh, media outlets. You know, our our, our our site states very clearly that a lot of this image and, and characterization of hackers in the hacking community comes out of global media and pop culture sources. And, you know, to the, the point we were talking about earlier, fear, uncertainty, doubt, tactics, draw in viewers, link clicks or, or what have you, because it generates revenue off of that. So, and the same for you know movie plots. Um, you, you've got to have a villain. You've got to have a compelling plot. Let's have a, a, a evil hacker, right? Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. They do have some some good movies like Hackers. Hike the planet. Hike the planet. Shut
0: up and get yeah!
1: in the car. And I, I hate to even bring up Swordfish, but the guy was god that movie was bad but it was like cheesy bad right
0: you ever heard of operation swordfish no nope. it's a sweet deal nine and a half billion do you have any idea of how much money that is we're going over the phone lines pop the firewall sit back wait for the money john travolta
1: hugh jackson Halle Berry, and don cheadle
0: swordfish
1: where we've really started to focus just in the last couple of years is just spreading awareness, laying laying the groundwork, and then having open conversations with people like yourself. Um, you know, we, We've talked to some other digital rights groups. Um, we've got some um, really good partnerships going. We've got um, a couple, I've lost count now, 100 and something plus advocates out there advocating our message. Um, we're currently in the process of building out local chapters, um, and you know we these these advocates would kind of lead those uh, those uh, endeavors. And being that they're located, we, we've got a global presence now: Asia, Africa, Europe, um, North America, South America. Leave out any. Oh, we've got some in Australia. <laughs> um, we don't have anything in Antarctica yet, but. <laughs> Um, you know, the idea is to kind of grassroots movement, uh, start it small, get some, uh, community involvement at the, at the local level and then grow from there. So, you know, start, start at the top, get the awareness out and then bring it directly down to the bottom and grow it from the ground up. So that's, the that's kind of the approach we've been taking.
0: So beyond coming up with clever mantras and beyond coming up with stickers and new names for old terms. So what would a local leader within Hacking is Not a Crime be asked to do?
1: So, um, you know, our primary responsibilities at the, at the high level is mostly branding, marketing, getting the message out, uh, managing Twitter account and, and Discord and, you know, all of our other communications channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, what have you. Um, at the local level, what we're trying to do is kind of offset um well particularly my, myself uh, specifically offset some of the 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 logistics challenges. I obviously can't be in three places at once or more, so when there's uh conferences at a local level, we want to send out advocates uh, maybe they're nearby um, kind of just you know spread the workload uh, a little bit more evenly. And then, um, you know, we, we would continue as we have been having having conversations like this one, where um, we we can speak on behalf of the organization itself.
0: So if this is the Gen X version of the hacker mind, then what about Gen Z, the up and coming generation of young hackers? Is there still some sort of impetus to become a hacker today, given the ubiquity of computers and digital devices, as opposed to when they were unique and cool back in the 80s and 90s, when the Internet wasn't even around, you had to dial up to a BBS to learn anything?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I haven't been asked that one. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I do a lot of uh, mentoring Both at a meetup that I organized um, and uh, some local high schools here in our school district where I live uh, for kids, and you know, I get a lot of questions about what certification would I need to get, what career path, and all these different things. And I've I've advised them, you know, kind of looking back on my own when I got in. I've been in tech all my life. I've been coding since I was eight. So when the dot com era hit it was like oh this is <laughs> this is a great opportunity and uh that coupled with my kind of uh subversive personality <laughs> I you know uh hacking and security were just a really good fit but back then, to your point, technology wasn't quite as ubiquitous um, there wasn't as much specialization, so I was kind of a jack of all trades i did I was a coder by nature, but I got into networking security, picked up Linux. Um, you know, my my first Linux distro, I actually bought it, <laughs> it was a Red Hat 5.1. And, um, you know, I, I was a jack of all trades, so I knew a, a little bit of everything. And now it's a lot more difficult to really Especially if you're young, I think it's really difficult to identify what you what you really like because it all looks so appealing. Uh, now you've got, in addition to all the other things that have evolved and as quickly as they have evolved, you've now got cloud and IoT. Uh, you've got some folks that are uh, you know interested in industrial control systems because that's kind of an untouched area, even though it's been around. It's kind of legacy systems, but. That's kind of a new uh, landscape, uh, artificial intelligence with machine learning algorithms and things like that. So you've got all these different applications of privacy and security that you could specialize in, but it's really daunting to kind of understand, well, how do I get to that? And so I've always kind of defaulted to you know, pick up coding first and foremost, because I think that really lays a foundation for having that logical mindset. Understanding what exceptions to the rules are, um, I think is really paramount in the hacker mindset. There's always, there's never, if you're presented with two options, there's always a third one, right? Um, And then, you know, based off of uh, of whatever their interests are, whatever they're most passionate about, I've I've often advised uh, people to, to pursue that path that really get a solid foundation on the legacy technology of, Or legacy concepts of of coding, networking, and system administration type stuff. So I think a a lot of up and coming hackers now have the benefit of tons and tons of information available to them. But I think it it can also you know um, there's choice is great, but there can also be too much choice where you're overwhelmed with it and really don't know where to begin. So um, I, I think there's it it's a bit of a, a pro and con it, it kind of cuts both ways whereas I, I could definitively say yeah i want to do i want to go do this and i want to focus on hardware or software or whatever it was uh i think the 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 next generation of hackers if we want to call them that have a lot of choices but it may be difficult for them to really hone in and identify what their passion and focus might want to be
0: i guess i'm wondering whether we're going to get another generation of curious hackers or if this type of work becomes vocational and becomes expected that you of course you know how to do computer security of course you know how to do these things
1: yeah good question um i think there's a little i mean you know part of our our mission is uh, the influence that media and pop culture has on on how our character is um, characterized <laughs> our persona is characterized um, so I, I I have met a lot of people that their um, their first idea their uh, of what a hacker is or what a hacker does might be something like mr robot um not necessarily bad in a sense I mean it, it does get it does get people maybe it inspires them to to pick up coding, or oh, I saw a, a command prompt. What was he doing? And they find out it's Linux, and maybe they discover Linux. Um, vocational, um, yeah. I mean, I think it, it cuts both ways there too. I mean, it could just be um, maybe all along they've they've had this uh, kind of itch with science and technology. Um, we didn't really cover that part of like my childhood, but that's, that's certainly where I, where I started. So, um, you know, with this being a lot more prominent in society for, for good or bad, however, the hackers are portrayed, I think there is some benefit that it it might just kind of inspire, uh, the next generation to to pick up a book and, and read about, you know, computer networking or, or maybe teach themselves how to code or something.
0: I did an episode with Jack Cable last year. He's an incredibly impressive young man doing so many things at the age of 22. Yeah, he struck me that he was identified early and went mainstream working with the government and CISA and Bo Woods. But also we talked about was his ransomware thing where, you know, he had a friend who had an uncle who had a problem with ransomware. And just off the cuff, Jack was able to f- fix it. I'm wondering if we still have that wildness, whether you still have that curiosity in the young people coming in.
1: The ones I'm working with are uh, seniors, and it's part of like this capstone project that they do. Is uh, uh, They call it an independent study and mentorship. So they, uh, each of the students, whatever field they want to go in, reach out to someone in the local community for that field and my name just, I want to, I want to start up. And if you look up cybersecurity, Dallas, it's in the first, it's in the top 10, right? So my name pops up and I have been contacted several times for that. So, but it is, it is a lot of fun. Uh, They're, they're, they're all seniors. They're very, very passionate, which i love to see. Uh, The, the first student uh, I'm trying to think back was at 20, I think it was 2016. The first the, the first mentee I worked with found an IDOR vulnerability in this uh image hosting website. Reported it and got a CVE assigned for it. <laughs> this is a senior in high school. So like just right off the bat this guy's got a CVE he can put on his resume. You know, I found this as part of my capstone project. I think that's really cool.
0: I'd like to thank Brian for discussing the term hacker and sharing his personal history as well. Not everyone who hacks is a bad actor, and not everyone who takes things apart should be demonized. Yeah, there are TV shows, movies, and even podcasts that glorify the crimes of some people who hack. And that's probably fine if they're called out as criminal hackers. But... The vast majority of us are just curious and sometimes have real need to expose wrongdoing in the world today. It's great that the U.S. Justice Department is enlightened enough to recognize security research as being done for the common good. Let's continue to push that envelope. Let's continue to see hackers as they are, hyper bright, curious people. And please feel free to talk about the criminal hackers as just that. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative information security podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. I don't want you to miss out. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join me on Discord. You can find the deets at HackerMind.com. The Hacker Mind is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free by For All Secure. For the hacker mine, I remain the not-criminal, just-a-hacker Robert Famoussi.